What's up? It's Mike Fenoya from Comes a Time, letting you know that Oteil and I are going to be bringing the podcast to Patreon. Uh, each week, we are going to provide members with a bonus episode. And what we talk about is going to be up to you. That's right. Members can send in their questions, stories, topics that you'd like to hear Oteil and I chat about, and uh, we'll shout you out and take your questions each week. You got to make it a good question, though. If it's what's your favorite dead song, uh, we might skip that one. So do better. We have faith in you. Head to patreon.com slash comes a time pod and get on the bus. Welcome back to the Comes a Time podcast. I'm Oteal. And I'm Mike. And today we have an unbelievably hilarious comic and a great dude. You know him from The Daily Show and his specials, Roy Wood Jr. What a fun chat, huh? He's the best. And you know, when you guys recommended him, we had been talking about different musicians and different comedians we want to have. And I had been watching him a lot on YouTube, but I kind of wanted to defer to you, like which comedians you wanted to have on first and all that stuff, you know, but he was in, on my mind so hard. Mm. And then uh, when you guys brought him up, I was like, yes, I love this guy, you know? So, yeah. and he's just great, man. What a fun hang. Roy is one of those, you know, like comedy is a lot of it is camaraderie. And just like being around people that like when they walk in the room, because we're always in our own heads and we're always worried about a bad set or a whatever. Um, when he walks in the room, it's always just like, Roy's here. Cool. Like the, the vibe's going to be great. And, and he's just such a nice guy, warm, welcome, intelligent, hardworking. And, and I love his, uh, we got into a really deep chat even about like just the, the structure and the work that goes into developing and crafting a joke and most importantly, trimming the fat and whittling down stuff to, you know, it's funny to hear, like sometimes you hear a two or three year comic go, I've got an hour of material and it's like, no, you don't. You definitely don't. I mean, I was saying that and it's like, not even fucking close, not even close. You have six minutes at best. So <laughs> I really love cool. hearing that, the, the craft part of it because you know, so much of it is that experience and the work you don't see. And I just think, Oh, you know, I, even though I know from being a musician, I know there's a lot more work that goes into it than you mm -hmm. see. But when you watch someone like him, who's super intelligent, I think all most comedians are, you know, he, uh, you realize how smart he is by the way he's, you know, uh, unpacking the craft of it. It's like, wow, there's, it's not just that he's got charisma and intelligence and he's funny and it's all this other stuff. I find that really fascinating. So it was, yeah. it was great for me. It's a great chat and uh, we hope you guys enjoy it and we hope you've been enjoying it. And uh, thanks for, for sticking with us. You can head to uh, patreon.com slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode every week. Um, they've been a blast and we love the questions we're getting from our uh, listeners and also all our episodes that you are receiving free are on the Osiris Network uh, that we are proud members of and home to a bunch of amazing podcasts. So head to OsirisPod.com to find out more and uh, like us and share us and all that stuff. And uh, we love you and enjoy Roy and we hope you're safe. And uh, that's all. This one will bring you a laugh and uh, we're happy to bring it to you. So thank you. 
Cool shirt, by the way, Otil. I didn't say that during the episode. Man, man. I this gig that tripping I out on that. Up in New Jersey, this benefit. They made me this. Shit, bomb, dude. That's yeah. dope. Got me the uncle. All right, and, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy, everyone. Peace and love. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Welcome back to Comes a Time. We got Roy Wood. What up, buddy? Hey, how y'all doing, man? Good to see you. What the hell you. is going on? Happy quarantine. Happy and quarantine. And all of that shit. <laughs> the longest <laughs> holiday ever. Dude, you look I good. I hope it is a happy quarantine for you. I don't know. It's been okay. I've, I've found out new things about myself while being locked up with a child for six Like I hate to say it. But I get why parents want the schools open. Have you ever been inside with a child for 24 hours a day for consecutive months with no breaks and no babies? My baby said left the country. She went back to Canada. <laughs> where it's, and I'm not mad at it because it makes sense. That's where you should be during a pandemic is a more responsible nation. I wish I was your babysitter. Jesus. I'd love to be in Canada. How old so, are your kids? Yeah, so How I'm okay. Uh, he's four. He's four, so he's just old enough to ask the question, but still too young to understand the answer. So then he asks more questions. And so that's, it wanes on you after a while, OT. Like after a while, your child is like, well, what about, what about tornadoes? And I explain tornadoes. Well, how's a tornado different than a hurricane? A hurricane has tornadoes. So a hurricane is essentially a bigger tornado. No, a hurricane is not a bigger tornado. A hurricane has tornadoes. Well, if it has tornadoes, then it's a tornado. shut the fuck up and go eat a graham cracker. Say, <laughs> this is what school is for. I got a two and a five year old. So I'm sandwiched between the little girl that's two in the mm-hmm. full terrible twos and my five year old who's just setting a bad example. So, so five and two. So then they're old enough to fight. Oh, yeah. They, but, they, yeah. Play, they do play well, but then the playing turns to fights. Like, the better the playing goes, the more likelihood there is of it turning into a fight. And then there's the conspiring, which I didn't realize could be that next level that young, but it is. 
Like they're hiding yeah, my shit because I won't let him have the donuts. I put him up where he can't get. He's like, I'm gonna hide daddy's water bottle for his bicycle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you gotta hide the snacks, man. I'm telling you, the bathtub—that's the best place to hide food. Kids never shake the bathtub. Kids are stupid, man. Pull the shower curtain. <laughs> they don't fuck with the bathtub till bath time. They just never think to look in there. I play hide and seek with my son, and I hide in the bathtub and I get my phone because I know I'm gonna be in there for 30 minutes and enjoy the silence (laughs) the first thing i did out of quarantine my buddy was like dude just come over you haven't left the house we've been good he's got three daughters one is seven i've seen her once before when she was a baby and i go over and they're like hey uncle mike uncle mike and she comes over to me and she goes what are you to me and i was just like she blew my mind i'm like i don't even know what i am to me right now kid i just wanted to get in my car and go home dude i was like what a existential question from a seven year old it's like jesus you can't hit me after quarantining with what are you to me i'm like jesus that was yeah. heavy but i don't yeah. have you guys i sit alone and think about why i don't have kids and uh but it's got to be good the time goes faster having a child i'll say this before you have a child, make sure you got most of the shit done that you wanted to get done in your life. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, then there's, well, if you plan to be a good parent, to some degree, you have to be selfless. And I still have a little bit of selfishness in me, but it's in the spirit of providing, you know what I mean? And it's not right now because he's four, but the older he gets, the more I'm going to have to choose between my shit and his shit. You know, in terms of just activities and being present as a parent, like I think those are things that a responsible adult should do if you want your child to not be a fucker when he's 28. So I know I'm going to have to do that and I don't want to do that with resentment. So I'm like, that's why I've been busting my ass all pandemic to like just get as much as I can done now because soon he's going to be older and he's going to remember that I was gone and I don't want him to do that. I hear you. We talked. About I, I quick, got yeah. lucky because I had my first one at fifty, and so I can spend more time at home. I mean, we're all spending more time at home now, but you know, I could I could tailor it a little better. Yeah, like I would honestly recommend to someone either have a kid at sixteen or fifty. <laughs> yeah, you grow up with them. You, you know, you're not I really up- doing shit at 16. What do you, you go to school, you go hang out. Like, it's not a real, there's structure, there's structure and repetition into that. And if you have structure and repetition in, in your life, you can fit a kid into that. But when you try, you know, the life will tell you, you're telling me from like what age 20 to 40, those good touring years, that two decades stretch. That's a lot of juggling, man. Yeah. And I want to be there for the beginning part. You know, the the zero to five. Like I said, well, I'm going to take five years not really going on the road that much. And then five years went like that. And so now I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take 10 years not really going. And then it's like, you know, you get when you get to the teenage years, I feel like you got to be kind of home so some your mom doesn't go nuts with crazy. My, yeah. My folks had me yeah. when they were like 18, 19. 18, 19 years old. So I kind of like, we grew up together. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of neat to have such. It was, it was different in our house. Um, My dad was 60. My mom was 30. Like my dad was on one of them suave Billy D Williams looking ass (laughs) niggas who I'm 60, but I look 42. 
Yeah. One of those that black don't crack shit. <laughs> and so it was weird because he had his routine, like he was set, but my mom was still stacking master's degrees and doctorates and law degrees. So she still had shit to do. But wow. we figured out a way where as like because everybody kept a different schedule, we were never the family that had dinner every night at six thirty. Yeah. or supper, as they call it in the Midwest, I've been told. So <laughs> like, it was just, it was just a different upbringing, man. But I never felt, I always felt loved. I just, I, I'm older now. And I look back on, I get it. You were trying to get shit done so that life would be easier for us. So that's all I'm trying to do. You know, it's the same thing. I think like uh, the whole uh, abandonment thing is a, is a state of mind or a, a person's intention because you know, I have friends whose parents were in the house together all the time and they were totally abandoned because they just, the parent was checked out or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So just your desire to like, want to like, you know, work it out or compromise or that, that's all of, that's the whole ball game to me, you know? Yeah, you've got to have that in mind from the jump. You have to have a plan, but you know, I wouldn't, how can I put it? if you're going to have a child and be a good parent, it requires you to lose a level of your own selfishness. And yeah. that takes a second to reckon with, even if you want it, it just, it takes a second to figure out how to restructure things where, Oh wait, he's only going to be awake for another hour. Maybe we should pl play bingo. And so he can fucking learn numbers mm. for a second. And then I can go back to playing my PlayStation. <laughs> can't play the PlayStation in front of the boy. Don't do that. Have you been missing the road? Like, do you miss touring? Roy? Hang on, I lost audio. Oh, okay. Check, check, check. Stand by one second. Mine froze up on me yesterday when we were going. I wonder if Zoom's having three problems. Three times. I just think everybody on Earth is Zooming. Like I know. Their brain's out yeah. right now. <laughs> Maybe Zoom is like, these two guys are doing too good. We need to cut their shit. <laughs> Zoom's probably got its hands full, you know? Yeah. All right, we're rolling. I'm good. Sorry about that. No worries. No. <laughs> Are you, uh, are you missing touring at all? Are you missing the road? Yeah, I miss it, man. Like, you know what, you know what I really miss that I did? You know what I took for granted? Was how much time travel afforded me the opportunity to be alone, which I need emotionally to just replenish myself to be able to be around people, you know? And I don't yeah. say that, and that's not a diss to socializing. It's just... Alone time is just as important as FaceTime with other people. And so I, I miss that part of touring the stage, of course, and being able to share thoughts. But, you know, I, I haven't been on stage since March 13th. That was the last time I performed. And I've literally been trying to figure out, like I tried Zoom shows and I did the digital stuff online you know, early on, like April, and it just never felt right for my style of comedy. So I just stopped doing them. You know, I, I'll, 
I'll, I'll do this. I'll shoot the shit with someone. But when you present it as a formal structure, this is comedy on the internet. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. My style, it just, I, I don't know. I've learned a lot about the nuance of my own stand-up. So I've just used this time to just kind of go back to college. I watch a bunch of old stand-up. I bought a gang of vinyls of just nice. old shit. I'll show you a couple of these. I just happen to have these. I got a record player and I got like, I got some old Steve Martin. Yes. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I got some moms, Mabley up in here. Moms, uh, I love it. I got some, I got some red, there's some red Fox around here too. And then I'm just like finding random people. Like there's a guy, Jim Cato, who I'd never heard of. And he was a black comic from back in those, you know, back in the Chitlin circuit era. And just, that's what I do, man. I play PlayStation. I listen to comedy albums from 40 years ago to see if there's a way I can get better or some style or strategy that I missed. And I don't know. I just use this time now to be a student, but I'm ready to get back on stage. I just don't know what the fuck I'm going to talk about, bro. The, the news know, changes so fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, it was weird was going back up. I I've, I've been on stage. So March 12th was the last time I did a show in New York. And then I did an mm -hmm. outdoor show in July and I completely ate shit. And I was, I was realizing Roy that my setups felt like I wrote them in the 1800s. Like, it with a quill pen, like in a whole different time, like pre COVID yeah. setups don't make sense anymore. You know, like I'm like, yeah, I was in the airport and it's like, no, you weren't. That didn't happen. Like recently. Yeah. Like, so that's and some, a joke. Six months old. Yeah. And where were you going? What was it like? Why are you in the airport and not talking about COVID? And yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's very weird. So what yeah. I found myself having to do, and since then I've done two or three shows outdoors and, um, what I've found myself doing is like on stage, you know, Steve Martin and born standing up in the, the first page of it. He talks about how stand up is the ego's last stand, how basically like we're <laughs> up there, we're saying something, we're analyzing the last thing we said, and we're already loading what's going to come after what we're currently saying. So there's no time yeah. for you to go. And uh, I was finding myself on stage, like editing, like I'm like calling audibles, I'm, like Peyton Manning, like they calling from the line of scrimmage. And I'm realizing as that the joke, sentence is getting to your tongue, yeah. you're realizing you can't say that sentence. It doesn't make doesn't... sense anymore. Right. The world's different. So that's like almost making me like faster in that way. But also I leave with such a comedy, like the post-show blues for like weeks where I can't get back up in a half hour at another club or tomorrow. So I'm left it's like with that open bomb. mic days where you couldn't get like down south. Where I, like I started down south, and open mic was once a month in most oh, cities. Jesus. So you would bomb, and then for three weeks, just <laughs> reminisce about sucking <laughs> before the next big match. To the point where like it, it ate me up so much. That's why I started riding the Greyhound to go to gigs. So I would. When I was in college, I would take the Greyhound every week to a different city to do another open mic so I could get the funk off of me yeah. from the one where I bombed. And that was the only way to get up every week was to just ride the bus for four fucking hours some direction. But it, to that point, it, it, got, it, gets that, it gets that feeling off of you a little bit because then you're like, okay, at least I didn't bomb two weeks in a row. I'm okay. <laughs> Okay. Talk about being hungry and working for it. I mean, it'd be like you'd be telling younger kind of man back in my day, I used to ride the Greyhound four hours to, you know, like 
I would ride the Greyhound to Atlanta for Uptown Comedy Corner Sunday night, um, open mic. Um, you take the Greyhound downtown, and then you take the Marta uh, out to Buckhead. This was out in high. This back when the Black Club was out in high society. I would go to the club. I would get booed, and then I would go back out on the street, take the bus to the Marta station, take the train back downtown, then walk to the Greyhound station, and then ride back eight hours back to Tallahassee for class on Monday morning. And you would get booed, and then you would be up all night yes. thinking about this getting booed. And then it's bus sleep, so that ain't real sleep. So now you're in class on Monday morning, fucking exhausted, still thinking about getting booed. And the only thing I'm thinking is I got to get home and watch this fucking VHS tape and see why I got Because you got to watch the game tape, too. That's the other to. thing that's torturous. Oh, that you got to see why you sucked. It's just the worst. Watching yourself is the worst. Yeah, I hate it. Absolutely. To this day. Yeah, to this day. I mean, to you have the day. greatest set. When you walk out of a club and you're like, that, I'm glad I taped that set. That was a great set. And then you go home and you watch it and you're like, ugh. You're, 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 you make weird movements on stage. You're like, why am I making that face? Like, uh, I like watching. When you think you bummed, you listen back and it was better than you thought. Sometimes. Yeah. But here's what's crazy. I don't like seeing myself suck, but I love seeing myself do new jokes because I'm discovering in the moment. I'm watching old footage or I'm listening to old audio from last year. Just when I was just fucking around on stage, to me, that's just garbage time. So it doesn't count against my performance quality. That's just me exploring the art form. So that shit, I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to see that because I might get some good ideas out of that shit. Absolutely. But when you're trying and you suck, then you're angry. <laughs> <laughs> O'Teal, was there music open mics growing up that you would hit? Or is that, was that even yeah, like Yeah, I mean, it was just jam sessions. You know, it'd be a line of guys waiting to play, and you'd have to go up and sign a book and get in the queue. Really? And yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it could be really brutal if whoever was hosting it was just like an older, you know, guy that just wanted to make you feel as bad as possible because someone did it to him. And, you know, wow. So, but, you know, there was definitely that, but we were always more like find a group of like-minded guys and just get in a room somewhere. You know, we didn't have a garage. You know what? <laughs> you know what I've been obsessed with now um, in terms of performance and trying to get better and there's nowhere to do. So for two years, I hosted uh, Essence Music Festival in New Orleans, which for the listeners who are not familiar with it, it's the closest thing to like a black Coachella, you know, in terms of just almost like a South by Southwest meets Coachella. There's tech and it, but it's three nights of music in the Superdome of just all black hall of famers in music. And then like all the up and comers in black music. Right. And as the host, I had to be there for sound check. So for three nights for five fucking hours from noon to five, I watched every fucking artist you can name do their sound check. And when you see someone practice, you start seeing different prisms of their performance and how they get certain things. And it, it like music has informed my comedy so much more than watching comedians to some degree. Like there's just little nuanced things, but you can never see it because they never tell about it. It's like when you watch the last dance, part of what made that Michael Jordan doc so fascinating is that you got to see the way they practiced. Yeah. 
Amen. Like, how is greatness created? Like, that shit, man. Like, it's just, my, my point is with musicians, there's a level of repetition and creative exploration that happens. And, you know, like, when you look at artists who work the front of the stage versus the back of the stage, depending on the tone and the tempo of the song, it's little subtle things like that that you can add to your stand-up that really fucking helps. And that's what I'm like. That's the level I want to reach. I know I'm not there yet. I hate, I can't watch anything that I've done on television with the exception of my first hour special. Really? Oh, interesting. And, and even with that, I skipped the Titanic joke because it got a laugh, but it did not fit the spine of the material that I was trying to build for that hour. Yeah. Like that, yeah. even my second hour special, I like parts of it, but it's still like, ooh, I would need it two more months before that <laughs> joke was really, because that's the shit that'll piss you off. You put a joke on TV and then two months later, you come up with the what I should have said line. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, fuck it, it's too late. Well, we have that in music too, where you always want to remix the record. Like it's the mix is never done. And then when it is done, you just got to stick a pin in and be like, okay, it's done. And then when it's done, you're like, I knew I should have changed that. It's going <laughs> to bug me for the rest of my life. You know, and it just, you know, but at some point you have to let it go out into the world and just, that's why I try not to watch it or listen to it because I just so hypercritical of it. And you know, the music yeah. in the scene that we, you know, kind of live in Roy, it's every, every night the set list is different. And every night the improvisation in each song is different. So if you hear a song one night, you're going to hear a jam that goes in one direction. If you hear it the five nights later, you're going to hear a jam that goes in a totally different direction. So every single song, it has their built in piece, but then it has that exploratory part. And the crowd goes because they're chasing these moments that are only happening once. And that's the beautiful part yeah. about me. I think about that constantly with comedy where it's like, I used to like having, I feel used to because I feel like I'm talking about comedy past tense. I like to have setups where I can, and I see you do this a lot too, where it's like, it's an interaction. It's a moment we're all having that's never going to happen again, you know, and you bring people into it and that helps set up the dialogue. And, and that I learned from the music I listened to. Who do you guys feel like it's, are the most improvisational comedians? Because I love old, you know, I'm a, I'm 56. I love the like old guys, crazy guys like Jonathan Winters, where it was just like mm -hmm. you didn't know what was gonna happen. I mean, obviously Robin Williams is like that, but I would say Patrice O'Neill was probably yeah. one of the best of our generation. Yeah, there are no two Patrice O'Neill sets that were ever the same. I, I've they, always they said that, too. yeah. Like I saw Patrice in London and it was just kinda, this is like 05, 06-ish, somewhere in there. And I'm just, just like, you, you ever seen the footage of the sharks in the ocean and like those remoras and pilot fish are just kind of attached to the shark's belly? Yeah. Just, they're just around. That was me just hanging around Patrice as he just went through the London comedy scene one night, I would say he went on stage with 10 minutes of intention and the other 40 minutes was just the magic of that moment with those particular, with that group of people. 
Yeah. Wow. He had opinions and perspectives that were funny, but which way that could go, he was never afraid to just go and explore the new thing. Like I would have gone on stage and I still go on stage. This is the, these are the jokes and do not talk, please. I have jokes to do. <laughs> and Patrice would just literally go, what the fuck is up with you? What's your deal? And then that would just take you on whatever journey, but it didn't feel like, but I, I'm also hesitant to call him a crowd work comedian because it wasn't, it, it wasn't crowd work. And it's, yeah, it, it would go somewhere to a point he was trying to make. And he used the audience as this jumping off point for some of the opinions and stuff. That's crazy. That goes to the point of like, it's like the notes you don't play sometimes that leaves that, that, you know, something can happen. Dave Attell sometimes he'll be in the crowd and if the crowd or he'll be in the room and if it's not, no one's paying attention or it's a shitty room and I'm hosting, he'll be like, Mike, can you open the door and let the energy fairy back in, you know? And it's just like some <laughs> dumb thing that like, but it's like, you watch him for those simple, you know, the jokes are the gold, but it's like for us, there's moments that some comics can throw out where it's like if a comic or the staff is laughing, like that's when you know it's just dynamite stuff, you know? Yeah, a tale is always guys, a fun one to watch. Yeah. I think when guys that are not afraid of silence are, that's when you reach that pinnacle where you're not like, uh, you know, and I'm still yeah. not there yet, but you know. That's that Chappelle shit. Chappelle will cook in 45. I saw Chappelle just running thoughts in Santa Monica one year. It was like, it was like a five hour set, but within that five hour set, there were like 20 minute lulls where it's just thoughts and analysis and he's just finding the moments on stage in real time with the audience. And then we'll just come right back out of that with fucking killer punchlines, man. I mean, he's just, I mean, we have new joke night at the cellar where we would be able to go and work out new stuff. And it was like permission to fail. You could bring your notebook up, you can do your time. And I've saw Chappelle walk in one time and I mean, he was probably up for three and a half hours just sitting there thinking and just like you said Roy he would just I mean just for hours and out like where I would get to the point where I'd start being like I gotta let these people go you know what I mean like I feel bad but he's just like I know he knows what he's doing and people are hanging on every breath it's phenomenal it's just yeah. like Miles Davis type like patience he would literally think it and then just serve it up to you right there on the spot like some sort of fucking chef Yes. Just making shit on the spot. Some fucking Chappelle is fucking comedy hibachi, where it's just he's right there in front of you and he's punchline. Eat that punchline. You want some more flames? Like just and you're just sitting there like more. How much of that do you think so of giving yourself permission to do that? Is it how much do you think is a confidence thing, and how much of it is just like? you certain people have that and other people don't i think you earn it i think you earn yeah. the right to slow down i've seen chris rock workout sets so chris rocks and he said this on the record so i don't feel like i'm giving away recipe but he worked out it's i watched him work out bigger and blacker for all right so for the listeners who don't know like a comedian will take their hour set that they're going to put on television and they'll run it through about, let's just say 30 cities to get the kinks out, make sure that the jokes track across different demographics and different geographical regions and whatever. And Chris Rock would come on stage and he would do two hours, but it was slow. 
it was not the performative televised Chris Rock. It was just Chris Rock doing the jokes with the most minimal stage movement Mm -hmm. to make sure that the joke itself was fucking hilarious. So then when he puts all the extra gravy on top of it and and intonation and what the fuck, when he gets into that, now you got a joke that goes from being a four-star recruit to a five-star recruit because he put the extra funk on it. But in a two-hour set, I would say that he got an hour worth of laughs but because he's Chris Rock, he's earned the right to be able to sit in that silence without the audience going, what the fuck? I want to go home. Yeah. Because then he took all of the parts that were funny. And- hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good boil that down to the hour and now you got an hour of just hits it's amazing you know one of the beauties of hosting the cellar for so many years was like you i'd show up for work you know hosting a show and they'd be like you know uh chris rocks around or berbiglia's around or this guy's gonna come like pop in whatever Chappelle, and or this person's running their monologue for snl or whatever it may be and just to be able to watch the different um, muscle workouts that these that comics like if someone was trying to run a tight twelve minutes for their monologue, they were coming and they were doing the twelve you know and then there would be I remember one night Roy uh, Rock came in before this last special and he was up there for a little over an hour and there someone came up to me that was in the crowd afterwards and they go did Chris know he was going on stage tonight because he didn't seem prepared. And I was like, you just saw the first trimester of a, of a, a birth that's, you know what I mean? Like you just watched him think up the thoughts that are going to be fully baked and glazed and ready for presentation that you're going to buy or you're going to watch on HBO in the next, yeah. you know? And they were like, oh, okay. But just to be, to, the honor of watching different comics work their different pitches and work their different solos and styles was like such a, unbelievable honor and thrill and gift really because it was just i could watch everybody and everyone was different even just piggybacking off each other's energy and stuff you know yeah it's really wild so are you writing a lot now or what what are you like yeah so my game over the pandemic has just been scripts you know TV, movie, unscripted ideas, any television that I can try and get made on the production side, even if I'm not starring in it, mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do right now. Because, excuse me, once I stop getting on stage, a different part of your brain starts firing. You know, your stand up muscle kind of atrophies. But then the TV and creative side starts flowing. And now I have all of these ideas that I know I can start trying to do. In the meantime, I've been stockpiling stand-up premises and ideas that I know, all right, when it's time, these are the ones that are going to be batting first 
you know, when it's time to get back on stage. So, you know, there's still the creative high tide and low tide of ideas that you go, oh, that would be funny to talk about on stage. Maybe I should talk about that. And if not something funny, something poignant, because my material, sometimes I have the punchline and then I have to figure out how to build to the punchline. And then sometimes I have the point I'm trying to make, but I need to work from that to figure out how to make it funny. Like I go, oh, that's a good point. Now, how do you make that funny and make that understand? So yeah. that's kind of the, and then you also, the thing I struggle with now is, all right, what's the joke that's going to be funny yet relevant, no matter how the tonal shift of the country changes in the next two to three months? And Boy, so this that's what I'm kind of. I mean, because stuff changes so much in a month. Like, yeah, and months? you can't, like I'll give you an example, OT. I wanted, so I was working before the shutdown. I was preparing my next hour special for Comedy Central that we were going to shoot in November. It was about February. And I had ballpark about 40 minutes of it. I had about 40 that I knew I liked and was still tinkering with what the other 20 would be. Of that 40 that was in submit in February, I'd say that maybe 10 minutes of it still flies now maybe 10 minutes. The other 30, that shit gone. Take them jokes, strip them down, make them tweets. Like that's, yeah. that's, the, <laughs> that's all the reality of it. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I strip them down for parts. Like what part of this joke is a good tweet? Fuck it. Let me just tweet it. We even just dealing with that, that. With, with this podcast because, you know, we record probably at least three a week or something. You know? mm-hmm. And, um, we wanted to interrupt the order that we recorded. You know, we were releasing them in the order that we recorded them, and we wanted to kind of shift that up for next week. And that we have to be really careful because it's just like, man, in two weeks, the whole thing could be completely... I don't know. Yeah, we have guests that are like, New York's great right now. <laughs> like, all we know is tomorrow New York will be on fire, you know? And it's, just, it's insane. <laughs> What do you think about the, the the comedy in the city and all that, like uh, like clubs and and it coming back? Like, do you feel like it's going to be a like cut the ribbon grand reopening type thing, or do you think we're going to kind of have to tiptoe back? I think we tiptoe back. I think we tiptoe back. Number one, we don't know which clubs are going to still be here. Thankfully, Seinfeld, you know, guys like Seinfeld are pushing for the uh, relief effort for the, um, the, what is it, a buyout when you save a bit, when the government comes in and gives money or whatever? Because, uh, you know, they're the trying stages. to... Yeah, the, yeah, to save the stages. So they're trying to do it for Broadway, and Seinfeld is making sure the comedy clubs are part of that part of that mix, too. So I think we'll have the clubs, but even when you have the clubs, do you have the people? Do they it's have money? It's unemployed, bro. Yeah, man. Exactly. It's a lot of people hurting. So... We are a disposable income industry. We are what you do. Comedy is what you go do when shit's going out. Yeah. The movie theater, Broadway, all that shit is hangout. It's not, it's not, it's just laughter is essential, but a comedy club isn't necessarily an essential business. And if we're ranking things, and that's the thing that comedians are up against, people can get a laugh a number of different places. Like you can, you've got to go to professionals to get song and dance. But if you just want to chuckle, you can open up your phone and find any motherfucker. Like, so there's ways around comedy. And that's part of what scares me is that 
you know, people could go, I would love to see that person live, but you know what, fuck that, let me go do this. And I hope that the concept of live entertainment as a whole, you know, doesn't take a hit. You know, I think that being entertained, I think that's, how can I put it? I think that's ultimately pandemic proof. And I think it's ultimately something that did like, like when you go back to say the great recession or the Spanish flu and all of these times that were fiscally far worse and far more deadly than what's happening right now, there was still a bounce back and the need for entertainment eventually came back into the light. But that was also because there wasn't a lot of competition, you know, and a lot of different mm -hmm. options for entertainment. You know, I hope the movie industry bounces back. If there's no theaters, I think it changes the type of grand films and the types of stories that are even told. Why bother shooting a movie with a $100 million budget if you know you ain't going to make it back on streaming? So, yeah, really I don't know, point. man. I hope, it, I hope it all comes back. I think eventually it will, but how many clubs and how many performers will still be around? You know, I don't know. And I just think the type of material that we do, here's, here's what I do know. The type of material that performers to get someone to come out to see you live, you got to be spitting some extraordinary shit. Because anything that we were spitting before pandemic, I just don't know if those jokes are enough. So, you know, I just really hope that performers are pushing themselves to be the best versions of themselves right now. Just fucking being in the creative gym and fucking lifting the weights so that when the time comes to get back into clubs, the people are getting something that they know they couldn't have gotten online or anywhere else. Well, the, the times are certainly given us material to work with, you know, just as a musician, all the things that are happening, all the protests and all that stuff and, you know, dealing with all the mental health stuff everybody's dealing with being trapped inside. I mean, it's great fuel for writing new music. I would imagine it's given you lots of things, you know, premises or whatever for comedy. Yeah, there's stuff. There's stuff, but it just, I feel like, and here's what Dave Chappelle did so great with 836. I don't know how much stand-up, uh, Mike, you've been watching since the pandemic started, but it's interesting to watch stand-up specials that were shot before the pandemic yeah. that are airing during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And they are funny, but tonally it feels different. It feels like I'm watching something from a different time almost. And it's like, no, you shot that in August of last year. You shot it in December. It wasn't that long ago. So which take the I pandemic what, take take the pandemic out of it. That's still a new special. You know what I mean? Like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the jokes are one thing, but then I think if you're touching into the emotions of the time that people are feeling, that's gonna go a long ways as well. That's why I think what 836 did, you know, what Chappelle did with 836 was so important. It's because yeah. it captured the emotion more than it did. Like if we're going last per minute, it's it's yeah. it doesn't rank. It ranks nearer at the bottom in terms of just laughs per minute, right? But the laughs that he got were fucking impactful and strong. So then you gotta put it right back at the fucking top. Yeah. Because it goes back to the whole living in the silence thing. I'm going to sit in these pockets of emotion and we're going to get a joke, but we're also going to acknowledge what's happening right now. And that's a comedian's comedy at its best for me is that 
And so I think that's what that's what I'm striving for. And that's the hard thing because the mood of the nation, that shit changes and it changes faster than a TV production schedule. Low key, 836 might be the new model for putting shit on TV where you only have, I think, what was maybe like a two week turnaround on that. So maybe a month. Yeah. So you got to work these jokes and then just fuck it, put them out. You can't tour them for 30 cities like you used to. That might have, like, here's a great joke. I'm going through some of, I got my old joke document open, right? <laughs> um, I don't want a high school named after me because most people that have high schools named after them are dead. You have to die to get a high school named after you. It's like a postage stamp. Colleges, you can have a building, but you have to donate money. I think right now I'm middle school famous. But nine times out of ten, if a middle school is named after you, it's just where a lot of crime occurs. And I don't want that on my reputation. <laughs> That's a cute pre-COVID observation. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pre-COVID where, observation is the important part. Where now, at best, at best, that little snippet is just a setup to me contemplating my own legacy in this world and what this moment has done to change me into leaving something impactful for my son. Like that's the wokey woke road I would have to go down to even use that. But all I have is that I have to construct the rest of the fucking road. And that's just, it's just like, I don't, I don't know how to make that funny. Like that's a lot of silence. Yeah. You got to sit in. It's so, yeah. it, it's so interesting to hear you do this. Like, cause I've been doing this too, is going back and looking through old notebooks and I'm just like, well, that's, that's dead. That's like a Pompeian ruin. Like, the, the, you know, the ashes are, it, it's not what it can be. And there's some stuff that even would touch on death that I, where I was like, I'm okay with death. Like I'm ready, but I didn't, now I feel weird saying it because it's like, it has a whole other, it's you know, present now. Yeah, man. And it's like, am I all right with death? Like I've just quarantined <laughs> to not die. <laughs> I was okay, you know, like I'm pro mask, so what? I don't think I'm pro death. <laughs> Here's a good one. Oh, women proposing to men. I don't like this new trend of women proposing to men. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Nah, isn't that funny? <laughs> Great. It was yo. It was part of the forty. Yeah. It was part I of the forty pre COVID. I watched yeah, you at Gotham. Gone. It was yeah. That that I was excited for your special because that. I watched you yeah. write it at Gotham. Women proposing to men is going to change jewelry commercials because now women are going to be the ones begging the guys. Just no one gives a fuck about jewelry commercials anymore. <laughs> this That's might a tweet be good now. for it. Might be good for That's comedy, a tweet. though. You know, That's like uh, I, my mentor always told me, he was like, you know, I need so much more than just entertainment for music, and he was looking for an exorcism. He wanted comedy in it. He wanted. <laughs> When you messed up, he wanted all kinds of things. And it's like, maybe, maybe the times is just going to just change comedy. And maybe that's something for the better that we're giving people more, you know, that you're taking people through a wider range of uh, emotions and things that they got to think about and sit with and then make. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a different approach. I'm just, I can only speak to mine because I know a lot of comedians do material that's, you know, in the world of escapism and they don't want to talk about anything that's going on. And that's what their brand is. It's just for me, for what I've done up until this point, I want to continue to honor that. And it's just hard. It's hard for me to do a lot of this old material without figuring out a way to attach it to the times now. And in some regards, 
it just feels forced. Like even this bit I have about, you know, school shooters and, and mass shootings. It's like, it's yeah. crazy to think that discussing a mass shooting would require an audience a split second to go, oh yeah, I remember that. Right? Because it's, 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 they still happen, but it's not at the top of the fucking news like it was anymore yeah. because everything is COVID and election. Like mm. you would almost have to, God forbid, wait for another mass shooting to happen. Dust off that joke. Yeah. And then I go, all right, it's long. Yeah, Man, let's go to the bullpen. Let's get, <laughs> get mass shooter. Warm up. Yeah. No, it's true. Are they going to force comedians to be more in kind of like the Lenny Bruce end of things where you're just like, or, you know, or such serious shit at the moment. Or like a soliloquy style one. You know, I've watched a little bit of a, I, I watched some Berbiglia just because his, like, it's a story. It's a, it's a one man. I don't like the, I don't know how you feel about the one man show, Roy, you know, but it's like, I've been thinking about the only way to remain topical or the only way to remain relevant to myself is to do material specifically in the first person about me and about whatever. And then it's, I'm telling my story. Right. And it's not about, I'm going to be me, whether, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then I can talk Those about comments my are safest in these times creatively. You're right. Yeah. So if you can, if I can write something about, you know, like a, a, a long form piece about me and then punch it up and make it funny, then I think I'd feel better. And then that's something that I, I know that only I'm doing because there's going to be every COVID joke. There's going to be every mask joke. There's going to be every hand sanitizer joke, Trump joke. Yeah. Like it's just all there, you know? So yeah. if I'm talking about me. It's already getting stepped on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a thing too, Roy, like just material wise, like if everyone's topical, it gets so, so what you're saying about you, it is evergreen then, right? I feel like that. I feel like if so, so what you all are saying is that in order for me to do the mass shooting joke, I need to go out and do a mass shooting. And then <laughs> the joke is protected. <laughs> That's what you do. What you, See, you, do, do you could do that. You could Live do that premises. on stage. <laughs> you could talk about the jokes you can't use anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean like, really? so i gotta go out and do a mass shooting to do this joke you know like, like bro this is a great one the fast and the furious is my favorite white savior movie like that's a great fucking it's a white if the original fast and furious a white cop saves a whatever the fuck race vin diesel is for going to jail now that's a tweet yeah, that's it. The fucking tweet. Mm -hmm. We were oh, talking man. about Otil and I were talking the other day. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or not, but we were talking about. I felt like the thing that I was bummed about with comedy was like I finally felt like I was getting okay at it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I really enjoyed my like some of the jokes, and and I felt like it was going in the right direction. And then I was talking to Otil about the minute I felt comfortable feeling uncomfortable on stage, you know, you get shit gigs when you're starting out and some guy offered me a private show at like some dinner theater or whatever. And I went and five mm -hmm. seconds before I went on stage, Roy, he goes, by the way, this has to be 100% clean. And oh, there's a pastor, no. there's a pastor right in the front. Oh. I mean, literally he's like, we're going to bring you on, but you oh. know, this has to be clean. And I'm like, you never told me that. So you know what I did, Roy? I went up and I said, so the guy who's throwing this show just told me that this has to be clean and it's not. 
So I heard there's a pastor here and he raised his hand and I'm like, so pastor, when I say earmuffs, that means you got to cover your ears because I'm not going to be clean. All right. So that's, that's what funny. we're going to do. And it turned out that's being funny. a moment where I would say pastor and the crowd would go earmuffs and like, yeah, and it turned out being okay. And that was the moment when I felt like, okay, I'm getting a little bit better at this before I would have been like, <laughs> you can't do this to a con, you know, like when I got off, I was like, you got to let people know, dude, you can't do that to people. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. That's how they do you at those shows. Like, Oh, by the way, please no cursing. Like college shows do that shit all the time. What? There's some advisor. Like, oh. oh yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. this is pre political correct wokey woke era. Even back in like oh three, oh four, you'd go to certain schools and they go, Hey, by the way, please no jokes about this, 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 and this. I got a terrible review from a college in Wisconsin. And I won't say which one, but it was just it was one of those valuable lessons I learned early on. Um I, how can I put this? So I, so backstory, um, I broke up with a woman. It was a very nasty breakup. This is like, oh, one, oh, two. We had a very, very nasty breakup. And she calls me she, the, the joke. And this is the actual joke that I did. And, you know, it's not a joke I would make now, but the tone at the time in the country. So the basic premise of the joke was that this woman called me. And she was shaking pills into the phone saying, if you won't be with me, I don't want anyone to be with me, you know, whatever, whatever. And turns out she was shaking vitamins into the phone and she was lying. Her sister, her sister called and told me all of this like an hour later. And I said, well, that's good because I was wondering because if it was sleeping pills and it's been an hour, why haven't they kicked in yet? What brand of pills are those? And like, that was, that was the general joke once you knew that it was vitamins and you know, whatever. So I tell this faking your own suicide joke at a college and my manager got the nastiest fucking email from the advisor. And these reviews matter just for the, for the listeners who don't know, mm -hmm. when you perform at a college, they fill out an evaluation form on you. This evaluation form goes on this public server that other campus advisors can see it's like Yelp for comedians, yeah. but it's an internal website for colleges, right? So this could really fuck up your money for years to come. And she put up a review that said that I did a suicide joke on their campus when they had just had two suicides that week. I didn't fucking know y'all had two suicides. Yeah. I wouldn't have done the joke. So Jesus. <laughs> like I literally didn't like if I you think I'm that type of person. You think I pulled into town and read the campus paper and saw the yeah, terrible like, news and was like, that's what I'm gonna fucking open with. <sighs> so I felt I felt horrible, man. So ever since then, when I do a college, I go straight to the advisor. What what the fuck do I need to not talk about? Tell me. Because you're not gonna ambush me two steps from the stage. And tell me what the fuck tonight. Tell me, let's get everything out the way now so I can go sit in the corner and figure out how to regroup myself. Yeah. What Jeez. happens here at the college in the last month? <laughs> I know. Let me know. <laughs> and also, and also when you're doing colleges, you're competing not only with other comedians, you're competing, you're competing with magicians and hypnotists and speakers and all other i mean it's not just comics like they could go like let's just have this you know hypnotist that's gonna tell everybody that their nose is touching the ground or their balls are flying away or whatever you know 
And then with Mm -hmm. comics, like comics being in that is, it's hard sometimes, man, that's awful. (laughs) So there was, um, I won't, I won't name the magician, but they're like, it's just, it's fucked up. But I just think as performers though, you have to make sure that you're checking with the venue weeks in advance. Like, you know, are there any words or here's the words I plan to say? Like I go, it's ass damn hell shit. Okay. If not, let me know. And I'll go, well, just one or two, you know, sprinkle it. That's fine. But you have to ask the questions that are relevant to you being able to do your act and then decide whether you want to keep it real or if you want to get rebooked. That's just what it boils down to. I, um, I was doing a bunch of co-headlining shows in the early aughts with a, with a magician. And I'd say... 70% of his set was pyro. Fire, flames, just fucking torches, just all types of shit. 70% of his act is solely open flame tricks, right? Mm. And it's amazing shit. We get to the fucking venue and he's getting out all his fucking pyro juices and fucking torches. And the lady's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, yeah, bitch, I'm doing my fire. <laughs> and she, she's like, no, the ceiling is only eight feet from the top of the stage. You'll set off the sprinklers. The fire code won't allow. And this is like a year or two after the great white death, Rhode oh, Island yeah. mishap the with the pyro and everybody died. Like, so no one's fucking with fire indoors <laughs> during this time. Right. They're like, really? No fire. Yeah. And he fucking sat in the corner. And like, you could just see the panic in his face. Well, 70% of your act is gone because of the fucking, the ceiling clearance isn't there. Man. And he just, and it's like, it's weird because that's just one of those questions you never think to ask before right. you get to the gig. Right. But, you know, you learn the lesson and I'm, I'm sure he asked now. He's still doing fine to this day, thank God. But like on that night, I was like, yeah, man, you I got a suicide joke you can do if you want that one. <laughs> Stretch out your act a little bit. And, you know, you know, I got other jokes. Oh, that's... <laughs> Man, if, if 70% of my act was fire, that'd be the very first thing that the booking agent would be dealing with. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, we play a lot and you have to do outdoors. And for me, like the weather... Like, I just had to turn down some gigs. They're like little private parties, and they were complying with all the social, the only this number of people and all the laws for the state. But they wanted me to come back and do a couple in New Jersey in October. And I was like, it's too cold outside in October. And we're like going back and forth. I'm like, man, I've played for decades when it's too cold outside, and your hands don't work. It doesn't work. So, you know, we got to do it somewhere warm, but he's, is this a deal, bro? I'm like, yeah, man. I like, I've done it too much. I've done it too much. Even with the, even with like the heat blowers, like they have on the NFL sidelines. It's still just like, like, I'm like, man, I've done the heat blowers. I'll show you the videos of me with the heat blowers and this hand is getting some heat and I'm sweating under this armpit <laughs> and this hand is like this, like, you know, like froze up. It just ain't going to work, man. I'm like, you know, playing and using the hands. You want to forget you have hands. 
You want to yeah, get the phone and you're like just wow. watching, you know. And man, when they're cold, you'll never forget you have hands when it's cold. So I have to deal with a lot of those things very first thing. Like, come on, man. This is mm. the check off the short list. Cut this bullshit off before it's My gone. stickler is lighting. That's the one thing that I ask questions yeah. about is that I've done enough weird gigs where they never took lighting into consideration. Yeah. And I just never thought to ask because I assumed you would know that we need a fucking light. <laughs> like I've done shows where I said lights and then it's lights on the floor. It's like the lights they use to light up a Christmas tree from the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like construction lines. Those. Like a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the lights go straight up your nostrils and you look like you're just stepping into some twilight zone. It looks like Blair Witch type shit, dude. It's or if yeah, you're, you're telling the horror story at the campfire, it's like, that's not what I was <laughs> yeah, going Yeah, and you're for. sweating like crazy, Literally. too, man. When the lights are super close to you, you can feel the heat yeah. off them. They're awful. Yeah, that's literally what it is. So I've learned to ask that question. is like lights on a stand. Like that's even it. if you don't have a stage, just lights on a stand, please. Yeah. I've showed bells. up. I, I've showed bells, up at please. I've showed up at venues where they go. You brought your own like amplification and microphone, right? And I'm like, no, like really? You you booked me. <sighs> you don't have a microphone, and then I have to stand there and, like kind of. All right, so there's no microphone and kind of yell and have the kid like come closer and what, it's just so weird. Yeah, fuck that, man. I'm not doing that no more. I'm not ruining my voice for some yeah. fucking micless show. If it's if it's under 15 minutes, I'll do a show with no mic. But if it's an hour, nah, just we gotta go buy something. I don't care if we just go to Walmart and Anything. just you know delay the show 30 minutes. Go to Walmart and get some one of those fucking kitty karaoke fuck you things. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just in, what do you do with your hands? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. You know, like what the hell? But some it's people so like Stephen Wright. Like, what's he gonna do with it? You can't scream that shit. Like when you're doing comedy, you want your voice be low sometimes, and it's up, and you need some dynamic. Uh, you can't yeah, be all like, ah, yeah. ah, ah, you know. Yeah, that's um, part of my hesitancy with outdoor shows, and that's part of where I've been in New York, where I see all my friends doing outdoor shows, and. Comedy with no ceilings or walls, you have to project to the back of the room, per se. Yeah, back And a lot of my jokes performatively aren't projection jokes. Like it's more, you know, a little more, mu- hey, I don't want a middle school named after me because it means it's going to be crime. Fact- like it doesn't. I can't do the same material. So it's just, you hope you get an audience that's attentive and a sound system that's fucking spectacular. Yeah. But you can get into the nuance of it. And that's where I've been scared. I, uh, I've been lucky. I I got to do an outdoor show at Ridgefield playhouse with, with a tell and they had like a wedding tent, you know, those big giant, like, like an elaborate tent, but it was a ceiling. And it was nice because it felt that felt like, you know, like those churches in the desert where everybody goes to sweat and pray. (laughs) The revival. (laughs) Yeah. The revival tent. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like a revival tent for sure. It was really incredible. But I bet you that's better because you just had a ceiling, just having a ceiling. And you know what? The people that were there, the people, that's what it was. And the people that were there were so happy to be there, man. That's one thing, you know, in in New York, sometimes we forget that we are, and we are an exhibit. 
we're a, a stop between Cheesecake Factory and you know the you know the the t- some other Jazz you know build a bear yeah. or whatever wherever they want to go. And, and it's, or the MoMA. So it's like, oh, we got to pop in this comedy cellar. That's that place we saw on TV. And then they go in and they're like, we didn't know we had to sit for 90 minutes and not talk and not have our cell phones. <laughs> These people that come out now are like, we want this. We need this just as much as you guys need us. So it's a real nice, like for the imperfections, the good part is the fans, you know? Okay. Like that, that helps quite All a bit. Right. So. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I've been avoiding it. <laughs> I have to ask you because you're a sports fan. What the hell are your thoughts on uh, cardboard uh, at- attendees in the audience of baseball games and fake crowd noise and all of that? Cardboard attendees. What is that? So at baseball games, what they're doing is they're using cardboard cutouts because they can't. They're playing to an empty stadium, so they just have cutouts of car- of cardboard people. In the so it's like blazing saddles where they reproduce the town, <laughs> like in the state. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Dude, Seattle had Jimi Hendrix in like on the right field line, like they like sneak in, like you know, famous people every now and then. Yeah, there's Easter eggs in there, and then a lot of people are paying $300 to have their picture on a cutout. The money goes to charity, but it's still just this weird, I want to be there, <laughs> even though I'm not there. Two dimensional. The, I don't know who the cutouts are for. As a fan, I know it's fucking empty. So right. why are we doing this? If you're raising money for charity and COVID relief and helping the stadium workers, all right, fine, fine. But it doesn't add anything to the experience. Are they crowd having noise cheering and stuff too? Well, that's right. Yeah, crowd noise. So the crowd noise, they're basically piping in crowd noise into the broadcast so that you watching at home feel like you're watching it with the acoustically it feels the same as watching sports last year but then they cut to a wide shot of the crowd and it's empty seats and you're like this my brain cannot process this properly what the fuck is happening right now yeah depending on the sport and here's the problem with the crowd noise some sports it's too loud other sports it's not reactionary within the moment like it's just the murmur crowd noise and then the guy hits a walk-off game-winning home run, and it's still a murmur. Like, you got to crank up the volume yeah. or hit the crowd cheer button on your fucking DJ soundboard to fucking make a different crowd sound. Uh, the thing that I didn't like, they only did it for a weekend, but uh, Fox Sports, did you see where they had um, the digital crowd that they put oh, in? No, I didn't see that. D- Google that shit, bro. It looks like, like you're. Deep fake it looks crowd? Like, it's a full CG crowd just sitting there. Oh, no. Cheering and moving. It looks like you're watching a video game. It's like watching live baseball with a video game audience. Oh, man. Oh, that's just crazy. I, 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 they it, tried. I, I get it, but it's it just, just weird. Sensory. It's compute. just. Like, you, you hit the nail on the head, though. It doesn't make sense. Like, you're, you're, you hear. And then you watch an extra point and there's no one in the crowd. And it's like, your senses don't match. It's like your nose starts bleeding. You're like, everything's correct. Everything's off. It's just so weird. Correct. But who yeah, knows? not a fan, not no. a fan, but I'm, you know, I'm happy to watch it, but it just Some, don't put all that extra shit. In there. Yeah, it's definitely, weird. you know, I only, there's only one sport I pay attention to and that's MMA and to their credit, they just do it and it's quiet. There's no, they don't try to make it like it's anything else. In fact, it's really weird because you can hear each person's corner. 
the instructions are given. Oh, yeah. And the fighters can also hear some of the analysts who are pro former pro fighters, and they've won fights from listening to the analysts because the analyst has a uh. different view from their coach. So, <laughs> but when, you, when somebody gets hit, you can hear it way better. Like when there's a heavyweight fight, I'm like, that. Just meat slapping meat. There's actually been there's been a lot more shit talking in baseball because the dugouts can hear each other with no crowd. (laughs) Even if they're pumping crowd noise into the stadium, they can clearly hear what the other person is saying across the across the diamond. Wow! So it's a lot more. Baseball is a lot more chirpy this year. Yeah. You think there's going to be a lot more fights because of that? There have been. There, yeah, have, like, there, there have already been fights based on what I heard you yell from the dugout. Yeah, it's like softball. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to have to start like, watching baseball. It's like now. into like beer league it. softball. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pitching it out pretty- a belly itcher. <laughs> <laughs> Big whiffa, bring him in, bring it in. Oh, Ray, we love you, man. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. What's going on hey, with you? Do you okay. have anything that we can tell our, our listeners to uh No check man, out? just watch the daily show between now and election, Comedy Central, eleven o'clock every night. Fucking You can vote. Dude. I'll just leave it at that. That's enough. Love you, buddy. <laughs> hey. I really appreciate you hanging out. Thank y'all, man. Thanks everybody. Thank you, See you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.